Part two of Chirp the First of The Cricket on the Hearth by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. So these are all the parcels, are they, John? she said, breaking a long silence which the honest carrier had devoted to the practical illustration of one part of his favourite sentiment, certainly enjoying what he ate, if it couldn't be admitted that he ate but little so these are all the parcels are they john that's all said john why no i laying down his knife and fork and taking a long breath i declare i've clean forgotten the old gentleman the old gentleman in the cart said john he was asleep among the straw the last time i saw him i very nearly remembered him twice since i came in but he went out of my head again. Hello! Ya hip there! Rose up! That's my hearty! John said these latter words outside the door, whither he had hurried with the candle in his hand. Miss Slowboy, conscious of some mysterious reference to the old gentleman, and connecting in her mystified imagination certain associations of a religious nature with the phrase, was so disturbed that hastily rising from the low chair by the fire to seek protection near the skirts of her mistress and coming into contact as she crossed the doorway with an ancient stranger she instinctively made a charge or butt at him with the only offensive instrument within her reach this instrument happening to be the baby great commotion and alarm ensued which the sagacity of boxer rather tended to increase for that good dog more thoughtful than his master had it seemed been watching the old gentleman in his sleep lest he should walk off with a few young poplar trees that were tied up behind the cart and he still attended on him very closely worrying his gaiters in fact and making dead sets at the buttons you're such an undeniable good sleeper sir said john when tranquillity was restored in the meantime the old gentleman had stood bareheaded and motionless in the centre of the room that i have half a mind to ask you where the other six are only that would be a joke and i know i should spoil it very near though murmured the carrier with a chuckle very near the stranger who had long white hair good features singularly bold and well defined for an old man and dark bright penetrating eyes looked round with a smile and saluted the carrier's wife by gravely inclining his head his garb was very quaint and odd a long long way behind the time its hue was brown all over in his hand he held a great brown club or walking-stick and striking this upon the floor it fell asunder and became a chair on which she sat down quite composedly there said the carrier turning to his wife that's the way i found him sitting by the roadside upright as a milestone and almost as deaf sitting in the open air john in the open air replied the carrier just at dusk carriage paid he said and gave me eighteen pence then he got in and there he is he's going john i think not at all he was only going to speak 
if you please i was to be left till called for said the stranger mildly don't mind me with that he took a pair of spectacles from one of his large pockets and a book from another and leisurely began to read making no more of boxer than if he had been a house lamb the carrier and his wife exchanged a look of perplexity the stranger raised his head and glancing from the latter to the former said your daughter my good friend wife returned john niece said the stranger wife roared john indeed observed the stranger surely very young he quietly turned over and resumed his reading but before he could have read two lines he again interrupted himself to say baby yours john gave him a gigantic nod equivalent to an answer in the affirmative delivered through a speaking trumpet girl boy roared john also very young eh mrs peerybingle instantly struck in two months and three days vaccinated just six weeks ago talk very finely considered by the doctor a remarkably beautiful child equal to the general run of children at five months old takes notice in a way quite wonderful may seem impossible to you but feels his legs already here the breathless little mother who had been shrieking these short sentences into the old man's ear until her pretty face was crimsoned held up the baby before him as a stubborn and triumphant fact while tilly slowboy with a melodious cry of ketcher ketcher which sounded like some unknown words adapted to a popular sneeze performed some cow-like gambols round that all-unconscious innocent hark he's called for sure enough said john there's somebody at the door open it tilly before she could reach it however it was opened from without being a primitive sort of door with a latch that any one could lift if he chose and a good many people did choose i can tell you for all kinds of neighbours liked to have a cheerful word or two with the carrier though he was no great talker for the matter of that being opened it gave admission to a little meagre thoughtful dingy-faced man who seemed to have made himself a greatcoat from the sackcloth covering of some old box for when he turned to shut the door and keep the weather out he disclosed upon the back of that garment the inscription g and t in large black capitals also the word glass in bold characters good evening john said the little man good evening mum good evening tilly good evening unbeknown how's baby mum boxer's pretty well i hope all thriving caleb replied dot i am sure you need only look at the dear child for one to know that and i'm sure i need only look at you for another said caleb he didn't look at her though for he had a wandering and thoughtful eye which seemed to be always projecting itself into some other time and place no matter what he said 
a description which will equally apply to his voice. "'Or at John for another,' said Caleb, "'or at Tilly, as far as that goes, or certainly at Boxer.' "'Busy just now, Caleb?' asked the carrier. "'Why, pretty well, John,' he returned, with the distraught air of a man who was casting about for the philosopher's stone at least. "'Pretty much so. There's rather a run on Noah's arks at present.' I could have wished to improve upon the family, but I don't see how it's to be done at the price. It would be a satisfaction to one's mind to make it clearer which was shems and hams and which was wives. Flies ain't on that scale neither, as compared with elephants, you know. Ah, well, have you got anything in the parcel line for me, John? The carrier put his hand into a pocket of the coat he had taken off, and brought out, carefully preserved in moss and paper, a tiny flower-pot. "'There it is,' he said, adjusting it with great care. "'Not so much as a leaf damaged, full of buds.' Caleb's dull eye brightened as he took it, and thanked him. "'Dear Caleb,' said the carrier, very dear at this season. Never mind that. It would be cheap to me, whatever it cost, returned the little man. Anything else, John? A small box, replied the carrier. Here you are. For Caleb Plummer, said the little man, spelling out the direction. With cash. With cash, John? I don't think it's for me. "'With care,' returned the carrier, looking over his shoulder. "'Where do you make out cash?' "'Oh, to be sure,' said Caleb. "'It's all right, with care. "'Yes, yes, that's mine. "'It might have been with cash, indeed, "'if my dear boy in the golden South Americas had lived, John. "'You loved him like a son, didn't you? "'You needn't say you did. "'I know, of course.' "'Caleb Plummer, with care. "'Yes, yes, it's all right. "'It's a box of doll's eyes for my daughter's work. "'I wish it was her own sight in a box, John.' "'I wish it was, or could be,' cried the carrier. "'Thank you,' said the little man. "'You speak very hearty. To think that she should never see the dolls, and them a-staring at her so bold all day long. That's where it cuts. What's the damage, John? I'll damage you, said John, if you inquire. Dot, very near. Well, it's like you to say so, observed the little man. It's your kind way. Let me see. I think that's all. "'I think not,' said the carrier. "'Try again.' "'Something for our governor, eh?' said Caleb, after pondering a little while. "'To be sure, that's what I came for. But my head's so running on them arcs and things. He hasn't been here, has he?' "'Not he,' returned the carrier. "'He's too busy courting.' "'He's coming round, though,' said Caleb for he told me to keep on the near side of the road going home, and it was ten to one he'd take me up. I had better go, by the by. 
You couldn't have the goodness to let me pinch Boxer's tail, Mum, for half a moment, could you? Why, Caleb, what a question! Oh, never mind, Mum, said the little man. He mightn't like it, perhaps. There's a small order just come in for barking dogs, and I should wish to go as close to nature as I could for sixpence. That's all. Never mind, Mum. It happened opportunely that Boxer, without receiving the proposed stimulus, began to bark with great zeal. But as this implied the approach of some new visitor, Caleb, postponing his study from the life to a more convenient season, shouldered the round box and took a hurried leave. He might have spared himself the trouble, for he met the visitor upon the threshold. "'Oh, you are here, are you? Wait a bit. I'll take you home. John Peerybingle, my service to you. More of my service to your pretty wife.' "'Handsomer every day. Better, too, if possible. "'And younger,' mused the speaker in a low voice. "'That's the devil of it.' "'I should be astonished at your paying compliments, Mr. Tackleton,' said Dot, not with the best grace in the world. "'But for your condition.' "'You know all about it, then?' "'I have got myself to believe it somehow,' said Dot. "'After a hard struggle, I suppose.' "'Very.' "'Tackleton, the toy merchant, pretty generally known as Gruff and Tackleton, for that was the firm, though Gruff had been bought out long ago, only leaving his name and, as some said, his nature, according to its dictionary meaning, in the business.' Tackleton, the toy merchant, was a man whose vocation had been quite misunderstood by his parents and guardians. If they had made him a money-lender, or a sharp attorney, or a sheriff's officer, or a broker, he might have sown his discontented oats in his youth, and after having had the full run of himself in ill-natured transactions, might have turned out amiable at last, for the sake of a little freshness and novelty but cramped and chafing in the peaceable pursuit of toy-making he was a domestic ogre who had been living on children all his life and was their implacable enemy he despised all toys wouldn't have bought one for the world delighted in his malice to insinuate grim expressions into the faces of brown-paper farmers who drove pigs to market bellmen who advertised lost lawyers' consciences, movable old ladies who darned stockings or carved pies, and other like samples of his stock-in-trade. In appalling masks, hideous, hairy, red-eyed jacks-in-boxes, vampire kites, demoniacal tumblers who wouldn't lie down and were perpetually flying forward to stare infants out of countenance, his soul perfectly revelled. They were his only relief and safety-valve. He was great in such inventions. Anything suggestive of a pony nightmare was delicious to him. He had even lost money, and he took to that toy very kindly, by getting up goblin slides for magic lanterns, whereon the powers of darkness were depicted as a sort of supernatural shellfish with human faces. In intensifying the portraiture of giants he had sunk quite a little capital, 
and though no painter himself he could indicate for the instruction of his artists with a piece of chalk a certain furtive leer for the countenances of those monsters that were safe to destroy the peace of mind of any young gentleman between the ages of six and eleven for the whole christmas or midsummer vacation what he was in toys he was as most men are in all other things you may easily suppose therefore that within the great green cape which reached down to the calves of his legs there was buttoned up to the chin an uncommonly pleasant fellow and that he was about as choice a spirit and as agreeable a companion as ever stood in a pair of bull-headed looking boots with mahogany-coloured tops still tackleton the toy merchant was going to be married in spite of all this he was going to be married and to a young wife too a beautiful young wife he didn't look much like a bridegroom as he stood in the carrier's kitchen with a twist in his dry face and a screw in his body and his hat jerked over the bridge of his nose and his hand stuck down into the bottoms of his pockets and his whole sarcastic ill-conditioned self peering out of one little corner of one little eye like the concentrated essence of any number of ravens but a bridegroom he designed to be in three days time next thursday the last day of the first month in the year that's my wedding day said tackleton did i mention that he had always one eye wide open and one eye nearly shut and that the one eye nearly shut was always the expressive eye i don't think i did that's my wedding day said tackleton rattling his money why it's our wedding day too exclaimed the carrier <laughs> laughed tackleton odd you're just such another couple just the indignation of dot at this presumptuous assertion is not to be described what next his imagination would compass the possibility of just such another baby perhaps the man was mad i say a word with you murmured tackleton nudging the carrier with his elbow and taking him a little apart you'll come to the wedding we're in the same boat you know how in the same boat inquired the carrier a little disparity you know said tackleton with another nudge come and spend an evening with us beforehand why demanded john astonished at this pressing hospitality why returned the other that's a new way of receiving an invitation why for pleasure sociability you know and all that i thought you were never sociable said john in his plain way <laughs> it's of no use to be anything but free with you i see said tackleton why then the truth is you have a what tea-drinking people call a sort of comfortable appearance together you and your wife uh, we know better you know but no we don't know better interposed john what are you talking about well we don't know better then said tackleton we'll agree that we don't as you like what does it matter 
i was going to say as you have that sort of appearance your company will produce a favourable effect on mrs tackleton that will be and though i don't think your good lady's very friendly to me in this matter still she can't help herself from falling into my views for there's a compactness and cosiness of appearance about her that always tells even in an indifferent case you'll say you'll come we have arranged to keep our wedding day as far as that goes at home said john we have made the promise to ourselves these six months we think you see that home bah what's home cried tackleton four walls and a ceiling why don't you kill that cricket i would i always do i hate their noise there are four walls and a ceiling in my house come to me you kill your crickets eh said john scrunch em sir returned the other setting his heel heavily on the floor you'll say you'll come it's as much your interest as mine you know that the women should persuade each other that they're quiet and contented and couldn't be better off i know their way whatever one woman says another woman is determined to clinch always there's that spirit of emulation among em sir that if your wife says to my wife i'm the happiest woman in the world and mine's the best husband in the world and i dote on him my wife will say the same to yours or more and half believe it do you mean to say she don't then asked the carrier don't cried tackleton with a short sharp laugh don't what the carrier had had some faint idea of adding dote upon you but happening to meet the half-closed eye as it twinkled upon him over the turned-up collar of the cape which was within an ace of poking it out he felt it such an unlikely part and parcel of anything to be doted on that he substituted that she don't believe it ha you dog you're joking said tackleton but the carrier though slow to understand the full drift of his meaning eyed him in such a serious manner that he was obliged to be a little more explanatory i have the humour said tackleton holding up the fingers of his left hand and tapping the forefinger to imply there i am tackleton to wit i have the humour sir to marry a young wife and a pretty wife here he rapped his little finger to express the bride not sparingly but sharply with a sense of power i'm able to gratify that humour and i do it's my whim but now look there he pointed to where dot was sitting thoughtfully before the fire leaning her dimpled chin upon her hand and watching the bright blaze the carrier looked at her and then at him and then at her and then at him again she honours and obeys no doubt you know said tackleton and that as i am not a man of sentiment is quite enough for me but do you think there's anything more in it i think observed the carrier that i should chuck any man out of window who said there wasn't oh, exactly so returned the other with an unusual alacrity of assent to be sure doubtless you would of course i'm certain of it good night uh, pleasant dreams 
the good carrier was puzzled and made uncomfortable and uncertain in spite of himself he couldn't help showing it in his manner good night my dear friend said tackleton compassionately i'm off we're exactly alike in reality i see you won't give us tomorrow evening well next day you go out visiting i know i'll meet you there and bring my wife that is to be it'll do her good you're agreeable thank you what's that it was a large cry from the carrier's wife a loud sharp sudden cry that made the room ring like a glass vessel she had risen from her seat and stood like one transfixed by terror and surprise the stranger had advanced towards the fire to warm himself and stood within a short stride of her chair but quite still dot cried the carrier mary darling what's the matter they were all about her in a moment caleb who had been dozing on the cake-box in the first imperfect recovery of his suspended presence of mind seized miss slowboy by the hair of her head but immediately apologised mary exclaimed the carrier supporting her in his arms are you ill what is it tell me dear she only answered by beating her hands together and falling into a wild fit of laughter then sinking from his grasp upon the ground she covered her face with her apron and wept bitterly and then she laughed again and then she cried again and then she said how cold it was and suffered him to lead her to the fire where she sat down as before the old man standing as before quite still i'm better john she said i'm quite well now i john but john was on the other side of her why turn her face towards the strange old gentleman as if addressing him was her brain wandering only a fancy john dear a kind of shock a something coming suddenly before my eyes i don't know what it was it's quite gone quite gone i'm glad it's gone muttered tackleton turning the expressive eye all round the room i wonder where it's gone and what it was hmm. caleb come here who's that with the grey hair i don't know sir returned caleb in a whisper never see him before in all my life a beautiful figure for a nutcracker quite a new model with a screw jaw opening down into his waistcoat he'd be lovely not ugly enough said tackleton or oh, for a firebox either observed caleb in deep contemplation what a model unscrew his head to put the matches in turn him heels upwards for the light and what a firebox for a gentleman's mantel-shelf just as he stands not half ugly enough said tackleton nothing in him at all come bring that box all right now i hope oh quite gone quite gone said the little woman waving him hurriedly away good night good night said tackleton good night john Perrybingle. take care how you carry that box caleb let it fall and i'll murder you dark as pitch and weather worse than ever eh good night
So, with another sharp look round the room, he went out at the door, followed by Caleb with the wedding-cake on his head. The carrier had been so much astounded by his little wife, and so busily engaged in soothing and tending her, that he had scarcely been conscious of the stranger's presence, until now, when he again stood there, their only guest. "'He don't belong to them, you see,' said John. "'I must give him a hint to go.' "'I beg your pardon, friend,' said the old gentleman, advancing to him. "'The more so, as I fear your wife has not been well.' but the attendant whom my infirmity he touched his ears and shook his head renders almost indispensable not having arrived i fear there must be some mistake the bad night which made the shelter of your comfortable cart may i never have a worse so acceptable is still as bad as ever would you in your kindness suffer me to rent a bed here yes yes cried dot yes certainly oh said the carrier surprised by the rapidity of this consent well i don't object but still i'm not quite sure that hush she interrupted dear john why he's stone deaf urged john i know he is but yes sir certainly yes certainly i'll make him up a bed directly john as she hurried off to do it the flutter of her spirits and the agitation of her manner were so strange that the carrier stood looking after her quite confounded did its mothers make it up a bed then cried miss slowboy to the baby and did its hair grow brown and curly when its caps was lifted off and frighten it a precious pets are sitting by the fires with that unaccountable attraction of the mind to trifles which is often incidental to a state of doubt and confusion the carrier as he walked slowly to and fro found himself mentally repeating even these absurd words many times so many times that he got them by heart and was still conning them over and over like a lesson when tilly after administering as much friction to the little bald head with her hand as she thought wholesome according to the practice of nurses had once more tied the baby's cap on and frighten it a precious pet's a-sitting by the fire what frightened dot i wonder mused the carrier pacing to and fro he scouted from his heart the insinuations of the toy merchant, and yet they filled him with a vague, indefinite uneasiness, for Tackleton was quick and sly, and he had that painful sense himself of being a man of slow perception that a broken hint was always worrying to him. He certainly had no intention in his mind of linking anything that Tackleton had said with the unusual conduct of his wife. But the two subjects of reflection came into his mind together, and he could not keep them asunder. The bed was soon made ready, and the visitor, declining all refreshment but a cup of tea, retired. Then Dot, quite well again, she said, quite well again, arranged the great chair in the chimney-corner for her husband, filled his pipe and gave it him, 
and took her usual little stool beside him on the hearth. She always would sit on that little stool. I think she must have had a kind of notion that it was a coaxing, wheedling little stool. She was, out and out, the very best filler of a pipe, I should say, in the four quarters of the globe. To see her put that chubby little finger in the bowl, and then blow down the pipe to clear the tube, and when she had done so, affect to think that there was really something in the tube, and blow a dozen times, and hold it to her eye like a telescope, with a most provoking twist in her capital little face as she looked down it, was quite a brilliant thing. As to the tobacco, she was perfect mistress of the subject, and her lighting of the pipe with a wisp of paper when the carrier had it in his mouth, going so very near his nose and yet not scorching it, was art, high art, sir. And the cricket and the kettle, tuning up again, acknowledged it. The bright fire blazing up again acknowledged it. The little mower on the clock in his unheeded work acknowledged it. The carrier in his smoothing forehead and expanding face acknowledged it the readiest of all. And as he soberly and thoughtfully puffed at his old pipe, and as the Dutch clock ticked, and as the red fire gleamed, and as the cricket chirped, that genius of his hearth and home, for such the cricket was, came out in fairy shape into the room, and summoned many forms of home about him. Dots of all ages and all sizes filled the chamber. Dots who were merry children running on before him, gathering flowers in the fields. Coy dots, half shrinking from, half yielding to the pleading of his own rough image. Newly married dots, alighting at the door, and taking wondering possession of the household keys. Motherly little dots, attended by fictitious slow-boys, bearing babies to be christened. Matronly dots, still young and blooming, watching dots of daughters as they danced at rustic balls. Fat dots, encircled and beset by troops of rosy grandchildren. Withered dots, who leaned on sticks and tottered as they crept along. Old carriers, too, appeared with blind old boxers lying at their feet, and newer carts with younger drivers, Peerybingle brothers on the tilt, and sick old carriers, tended by the gentlest hands, and graves of dead and gone old carriers, green in the churchyard. And as the cricket showed him all these things, he saw them plainly, though his eyes were fixed upon the fire. The carrier's heart grew light and happy, and he thanked his household gods with all his might, and cared no more for Gruff and Tackleton than you do. But what was that young figure of a man, which the same fairy cricket set so near her stool? and which remained there, singly and alone. Why did it linger still so near her, 
with its arm upon the chimney-piece, ever repeating, Married, and not to me. Oh, Dot, oh, failing Dot, there is no place for it in all your husband's visions. Why has its shadow fallen on his hearth? End of chirp the first.